This is a Rooster Teeth production. One freezing January night in 1949, thousands of people fled China in search of a better life in Taiwan. Only hours later, under cover of darkness, the ship carrying them struck another vessel, leaving more than 1,500 passengers and crew to fend for themselves in open water. Oof. <laughs> Not good. Not good at all. But you know what is good? What? I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. Once again, hitting a topic that makes that intro feel worse than ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now read your your funny, the funny I didn't thing. do a funny one today. Oh. I know. I mean, like, yeah, it's it's charming. It's not without mirth. You wrote a charming intro, you're saying? Yeah. Oh. It doesn't have to all be ha-ha funny. Okay. You know? Well, I, yeah, most of it's not, I would I say. I still right? think about what you said when people were saying, like, how is this going to be set apart from Black Box Down? And uh-huh. you said, well, people survive shipwrecks. Yeah. <laughs> well... Sometimes we got to cover one that a lot of people don't survive. Yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, you're. I'd rather not be in either. <laughs> Personally. You're, 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 a, you're a land. Yeah. Lover, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be in a land disaster either, though. I want to be in a land hovercraft disaster. One of the massive ones. That, yeah. that would be cool. Or in the James Cameron hydrofoil. Anyway, I'm not going to get started talking about Avatar, the way of the water, way of mm-hmm. water. I will read an intro. Uh, mm-hmm. We've waited too long to cover a truly grim mass civilian casualty. So we figured we'd re-up our membership with the Huge Bummer Society and discuss yet another abominable chat. We have another one coming next week, too. Yeah, definitely. switch that up, maybe. I think we can't. Okay. Very well. (laughs) Another abominable tragedy. So buckle up and turn off your exterior lights. The seas of this show are about to get rough. You know, this might have been my fault. What? Because I, I think I Because you're drawn to out, tragedy like a moth to flame? No, but I scheduled out the whole season. And there were a few that I didn't like. There were a few that I was like, this one sucks. It's a bummer. Let's move it around. Let's, you know. And I don't think, I think I looked up this disaster, but didn't look enough into it to remember that it was also a huge bummer. Uh-huh. So I just put them back to back. You know what would have been a would have been good is to put the SS Ohio between them because it's a story of inspiration and yeah. triumph. Or even the, the Caligula one. Caligula would have been yeah, Blackbeard. Been Honestly, any of them. Yeah, could have worked. <laughs> could have worked. Uh, well, here we are. Yeah. What's well, done is done. I won't um, apologize. Um, and I won't change. I, I wouldn't learn. ask you to. I don't so. wouldn't expect you to. No. Change is the enemy of pro. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's for the, the weak. Change is the enemy of stagnation. <laughs> to truly understand the tragedy of the Taiping, we need to understand why it made its final voyage in the first place. Yes. The Taiping sailed the dark waters that January night, carrying refugees from the Chinese Civil War. Mm-hmm. The Chinese Civil War uh, really starts with the collapse of the Qing Dynasty. To give some context, this dynasty began in 1636 and ruled pretty continuously until the early 1900s. It's not a bad run. Hey, you know, yeah, that's it's a pretty good run. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what kind of rule it was. It could have been well, just okay, time-wise, it's a but, solid run. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you got you got to give props. Yeah. You got to give props. But it, it wasn't always a positive ruling experience, oh. uh, as so many in history <laughs> seem to be. Hmm. <laughs> or not to be. This was a time of huge changes in China, which, you know, this is an anti-change show. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, at the start of the dynasty, Chinese society was structured around large cities with very, very small farms and communities outside. Well, the liberals. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the, the elites in yeah. the cities. <laughs> the big city elites. Yeah. This was because the state, a.k.a. the emperor, managed the distribution of all available crops. Mm-hmm. In the late 1600s, these farmers began to commercialize and form large farm towns that allowed them to work collaboratively to produce even more crops than needed. More crops than needed? Yeah, collabing on wheat. <laughs> I got a six sorghum collab going right now. <laughs> it's guy x other guy <laughs> to produce uh, hype rice. Yeah. This paved the way for more widespread commercialization to take hold in China, and they didn't have to look far to find buyers for their excess goods. Western Europe couldn't wait to take advantage of it. Ooh, they wanted their paws all over that excess grain. Ooh, they wanted to get their hands on those crops. Ooh, okay. Talking about rice, spices, fruits, vegetables, maybe. You took the time to look this up and came up with fruits and vegetables. No, I didn't look at the script up. Oh, it's in the script? No, I was just speculating on what what kind of excess goods these farmers might have. Right, and you you, you landed on fruits and vegetables. Possibly grains. The three things you can grow pretty much. Legumes. Yeah, I'm I also said rice. You did, yeah. That's a grain. That's a grain, yeah. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, but hey, you know what? You tried. Yeah. I did it. I don't, I, I don't understand why I'm under attack. I feel not, like I, did, I listed under, some things. You're not under attack. I'm, that I'm, I was I was 100 correct on every account. I'm making observations. Uh-huh. Maybe they could have grown also a, a a sense of optimism. You could grow that. You could stoke that. Sure. Can't export it. Yeah. By 1685, China legalized private trade along the coast, and Canton became a bustling port and custom station. By 1757, almost a hundred years later, <laughs> yeah. uh, there was a coordinated guild system for companies trading with the West to establish routes, quality of goods, and negotiate competitive rates. Okay. Business seemed to be booming for China until 1839. Not a stranger to booming. Uh, no. Inventors of gunpowder. Yeah, yeah. China placed a ban on the trade of opium with Western Europe, including Great Britain. Why would you do that? I don't know. While opium had initially been used medicinally in China, in the 17th century, it became increasingly popular to smoke opium recreationally. Probably because it feels good. Yeah. But, the, but then you've probably got, like, the heads of state, they'd be like, people don't want to work anymore. Yes. They just want to smoke opium. Which, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's opium. Every, That's the whole thing. Every realization I've seen of an opium den, it mm-hmm. seems kitted out with tapestries, rugs, yeah, yeah. pillows, It looks so cushions. comfortable. It looks really yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks really nice. Um, I would, why would I want to work if that was an option? No. I mean, I don't want to work sober. Right. It doesn't make any... Of course that's what... Let alone want. being a, a chemically dependent on yeah. opium. Right. Which, you know, that brings its own set of issues. But, yeah. hey, you know, you work you work with the hand you're dealt. Also, shout out to opium for being a... <laughs> <laughs> for really having a come up in the last couple of years in terms of... You could, uh, you could call it that, I suppose. So. Mass death and... <laughs> Uh, yeah, true, 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 true. Not in, true. A, not in this form, not in its 1739 form or 1757. No, uh, uh, more uh, heavily synthesized yeah. and, and uh, subsidized, I think. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, rampant. Um, but shout out, shout out to Opium 
uh, <laughs> respect where it's deserved. Yeah, shouts out to that one family uh, that has made sure it has infiltrated every former coal town in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember their name, but uh, uh, they're despicable. Awful I don't people. remember either, but it's a name that is someone else's name as well. <laughs> or maybe the company sounds like something else. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the company. Maybe the company's the company. Purdue. Oh, is that yes, their family yes. name? Is that well, the name? It's the we're so it's off the track. Chicken. Uh, that's what I was. I was yeah, thinking yeah. of was the chicken. And a no, school. It's a pharmaceutical and a school. Which I I wonder if that's the same people that started it. <laughs> no way. Because I was listening to NPR once and I heard the Purdue men's a cappella choir <laughs> singing about Fent. <laughs> we need, we need to get back on track more yeah. than ever. Holy. Uh, this is worse than me finding out how long cars are. Yeah. Which I still need to measure mine. Yeah. We could do that. We could do that. Maybe on social. Anyway, um, increasingly popular to smoke opium in cool, comfortable rooms. Yeah. So popular, in fact, that China became worried about the amount of opium usage and concerned it would become a dominant crop, limiting their resources for poppy seed bagels. Right. Well, yeah, because like if you... You eat too I mean, many, these you can farmers, fail a drug farmers test. are going to go where the money is. If there's more money in opium than wheat, which yeah, there is, yeah. why would you grow wheat? But then, if no one is growing wheat and everyone's growing opium, that's no good. And you got no food. You got how no you, bread. How are you going to make that bread? Exactly. Exactly. No ch- uh, cheddar. <laughs> Get money. No Get bag. Gosh. <laughs> At the end of the 1700s, they placed restrictions on opium sales, but Great Britain didn't really care. They kept buying and selling as much opium as they could. Yeah. You have to sedate the masses I mean, it's somehow. drugs. This is how it works. Uh, yeah, this is going to keep happening. Basic drug stuff. China reiterated their ban in the early 1800s, and again, Great Britain ignored them. By 1839, opium was Britain's most profitable trade, and with no intention of killing their cash cow, they did what they always did in the 1800s. They sent their elite navy to bully China into doing what they wanted. Thus began the First Opium War. It's such a cool name for a war. Yeah, rather than so the war cool. on drugs, it's a war for drugs. Yeah, exactly. It's a war that's for the better, purpose of procuring drugs. It's probably still bad, but that's better. <laughs> By 1942, the war was over. That was quick. Mm-hmm. And Great Britain had pushed China to sign the Treaty of Nanking. While it ended the war, it was absolutely in Britain's favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only was Britain allowed to reestablish trade, they could demand more opium at lower prices, and they got control of Hong Kong as a parting gift. Interestingly, that actually uh, worked out way better for Hong Kong under the current Chinese regime. Uh, because it allowed them to basically become like an independent uh, entity inside yeah, China. Yeah. Not saying colonialism is good, just <laughs> saying the Chinese government is bad. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it is what it is. The Opium Wars served as a frustrating learning experience for China. The 1860s and 1870s saw them attempting to catch up to the steamships and naval advances of the West. But for many Chinese people, the defeat at sea and the lopsided treaty signaled that the emperor might not be best equipped to bring China into the future. Uh-oh. Well, if you're an emperor, of course not. Unless <laughs> yeah. you get uh, very far into sci-fi, then you can be an emperor again. Yeah. 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 I mean, Palpatine made a lot of progress. Yeah. Not good, but he made a lot. No, and the God Emperor set up the what was it? The um the path, the what's the path called? Uh give me a franchise. Pa- what do you it's Dune. 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 It's oh Dune. yeah. Leto the, the, the second. The Padishah Emperor? No, no, no. Well he no. Oh the God Emperor. <laughs> the God Emperor. Is that Leto too? Yeah. Okay. Is it the Golden Path? 
This I don't is know. So stupid. We have to stop doing this. It's the golden path. Literally the least it's, it's the so least unimportant. sea planet. Yeah, Arrakis. Literally, we well, need... not during the time of the God Emperor, but yeah, it's not. Well, I know. I've, I, I'm yeah. aware. I'm aware okay. of the visions. Anyway, yeah, I'm aware of the. Okay, okay. <laughs> they began rapidly investing in things like railroads and ships, but often found themselves racing against Western investors who bought their way into Chinese businesses and sought to take control of large sections of land behind the Qing Emperor's back. Mm. Not to mention they had no experience or factories to build these new ships and trains. Nearly all of them had to come from Great Britain or France, meaning the Qing monarchy was rapidly descending into debt with the very people they sought economic freedom from. Yeah. The West, for their part, was perfectly content to destabilize China. Mm -hmm. Without a strong government in place, they would be free to take advantage of trade relationships at China's expense. Mm -hmm. By 1900, it was clear that the Qing monarchy was unable to prevent the West's influence and was struggling to manage internal reforms. Oof. One of their final attempts at reform was the creation of the new armies in 1895, and it would be their undoing. Uh oh The goal was to have standing armies like the West, but unfortunately those standing armies saw what the rest of China saw. The Qing monarchy was out of touch. Yeah. Over the next They're not on TikTok. No, they're not. They're, they're out of the loop. They're still on Facebook. They're not on Be Real. Yeah. <laughs> they're not being real. Is anyone on Be Real? It kind of had a moment at the end of the year, but I feel like it's it's kind of dwindled. Okay, I don't know because they're on I Mastodon. Have, yeah, they're on they're on they're on Mastodon. Uh -huh. uh, they're on Hive, posting yeah. from other Remember people's that? accounts for two <laughs> two days or whatever. When yeah, Hive yeah, I had one and yeah. I deleted it, but they definitely already have any data that they could scrape off. Their oh, phone. of course, yeah, of yeah, course. yeah, yeah. So shouts out. Over the next 10 years, factions would form in the new armies, resulting in armed rebellions throughout China. Uh-oh. This came to a fever pitch October 10th, 1911. Mm. One of the largest armed rebellions pushed the Qing monarchy into negotiations with the new armies. By November 1st, they had named Yuan Shikai, leader of the Beiyang army, as their first prime minister. Okay. He began negotiating with the multiple army factions, and a few short months later, in January of 1912, they declared themselves the Republic of China. They appointed a provisional president, Sun Yat-sen, but they only saw a few years of peace before China entered a small civil war aimed at reinstating the monarchy. Little just a little civil, civil war. war. Just a yeah. little, just as a treat, a little civil war. Every once in a while. Following the years of unrest, Sun Yat-sen struggled to unify a number of factions in China and looked to the West for assistance. In 1923, that aid arrived from the Soviet Union. Okay. Sun sent one of his best lieutenants, Chiang Kai-shek, to study in Moscow. Mm. In Moscow, he not only studied political policy, but also war strategy and the mobilization of larger armies. He brought this knowledge back with him and became a powerful force within the Nationalist Party, or KMT. Communism had already made its way to China and even had a party. Oh, fun. But it, was, <laughs> but it wasn't by any means popular. Uh, however, with the Soviets' involvement, the party became more normalized and began to take hold. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to the KMT, the Soviets were playing both sides. What? Yeah. They had already identified key figures in the CCP, the Communist Party, mm -hmm. and had begun funneling money to them and radicalizing them against the KMT. Sure, why not? By 1927, the KMT, Sun Yat-sen's Nationalist Party, and the CCP, the Communist Party, were at each other's throats. Uh-oh. April 12th of that year, the KMT arrested and assassinated key members of the Communist Party. And by August, the Communists had launched an uprising to retaliate. 
This conflict raged for 10 years as a full-fledged civil war, but then something unique happened. Okay. A miracle. Oh. The Chinese Civil War is one of the only civil wars to have an intermission. Mm -hmm. They took a break uh, to unify and fight against the Japanese during World War II. Oh, yeah. Quick yeah, truce. That would happen during this. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Japan was uh, did some bad stuff in China during World War II. Uh, yeah, enough to unify. <laughs> war crimes. Yes. Mass, yeah, yeah, yeah. large scale. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Pretty large scale Most war definitely. crimes. For sure, yeah. for sure. And that's going to yeah. that's gonna come back to bite okay. you. Following the Japanese surrender, the KMT and CCP immediately went back to fighting. Mm. The KMT under Chiang Kai-shek and the CCP under Mao Zedong. Oh, yeah. You know him. I've heard you of love him. him. I've heard of him. In 1945, the two men attempted peace negotiations, but the Soviets interfered again by helping to arm Mao's armies with weapons from the surrendering Japanese armies. <laughs> Within a few months, the Civil War was back in full swing. There you go. The KMT attempted to strengthen their hold in the larger cities, while the CCP quietly built up their forces in the countryside. That's some uh, Saruman-level uh, yeah. strategy. Over the course of a few years, the power balance shifted sharply in favor of the CCP. They had killed over a million KMT forces, wow, and their own ranks had swollen to over two million soldiers. <laughs> By 1948, the CCP began capturing larger cities. These victories provided them with tanks and artillery taken from their KMT counterparts, which further shifted the balance of the war. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> On October 1st, 1949, they marched on Beijing and proclaimed it to be the People's Republic of China. The KMT retreated to the island of Taiwan in December of that same year. Suddenly, any mainland residents who had been loyal to the KMT had a decision to make, and they had to make it fast. Mm -hmm. Between December and January, millions of people fled to Taiwan, but as the new year approached, leaving became harder and harder. The CCP set up blockades and patrols and search ships for leave and search ships leaving the harbor. Leaving was almost as risky as staying. Sounds like a great situation. Oh yeah, yeah. you want to be in that kind of situation. This is why on January 27th, 1949, the Taiping attempted to bring thousands of mainlanders to safety in Taiwan. Okay. But they would never complete their voyage. Ooh. And this brings us to Ship Hits the Fan. Yeah, this brings us to our boat podcast. Right before Lunar New Year, rumors had started to spread throughout Shanghai of the communist victory over the nationalists. For many, they believed that very night might be their only chance to flee the mainland. Mm -hmm. The Taiping originally only had 508 tickets available for that night's trip. And if you've listened to this show, you know how come this on. is about to go. Yeah. <laughs> tickets, come on. Come, come on. Capacity, come on. No. Yeah, they 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 had long they had long since sold out. Yeah. Not to mention, 508 seats wasn't nearly enough room for the amount of people desperate to leave Shanghai that night, mm -hmm. who were not able to procure any more tickets because uh, they had sold out. Right. Well, thousands of people swarmed the docks after sunset, hoping to surreptitiously board any outbound boat before the communist army patrols noticed. How do thousands of people gather? And, people yeah. Had to get out. Shh. I guess they weren't fully in power yet. I don't know. Maybe they just were spread too thin. Maybe so. they didn't wear shoes and they just tiptoed. That could be. It's not confirmed exactly how many people finally boarded the Taiping, but most estimates say between 1,500 and 1,800, not counting crew members. Yeah, yeah. So the ship was three to four times overloaded. Amateur numbers for this show, but still yeah. dangerous. We're getting back to basics. Yeah. It also wasn't the only ship with this same issue. 
From November 1948 through early 1949, it's estimated over 2 million people would flee the mainland for Taiwan. Oof. Unable to take on any more passengers or wait, the Taiping weighed anchor just after 4 p.m. In an attempt to not be noticed, the Taiping kept all of its exterior lights off and sailed at only eight knots to be as quiet as possible. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, these measures that are good for not being noticed by the Communist Party, uh, they do mean they could not be seen by another smaller steamer making the same kind of voyage. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. The Chenyan struck the Taiping at approximately 11.25 p.m. that evening. The Taiping began to sink within seconds. By morning, only 37 of the original 1,500 passengers on the Taiping had survived. The Qianyuan carried a crew of 74, but only two of them would survive the night. They were picked up by a U.S. Navy ship patrolling the area. One of the survivors, a man identified only as Yang, reflected on that night in an interview for the Taipei Times. He had managed to swim to a small boat nearby and sailed back into the wreckage to look for his wife. The waves that night were choppy, and as both ships were steamers, the ocean was slick with hot, bubbling oil. Ugh. Leesh. Yang and a handful of others would continue to search for their loved ones for three days. Most of them were never found. I mean, 37. 37 of a possible estimated 1,800. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, not good. Another survivor shared a story of watching the water rush into the ship as the crash happened. He and two others were lucky enough to find a large wooden beam, and in the freezing waves, they floated for days before being spotted by a passing ship. God. Still another survivor recounts that he spent 10 hours clinging to a box with his wife and seven other people. As the night passed, one by one, they slipped below the waves to their deaths, his wife included, until he was all alone. He was rescued after climbing up onto the box to get out of the cold water. Since the wreck left little documentation or evidence, there have been multiple attempts to investigate the potential causes of the collision. Most people believe that the newly instituted martial law by the Communist Party <laughs> played a huge role in the crash. Mm -hmm. There was a strict 6 p.m. curfew for ships, and both the Taiping and the Chenyuan were breaking curfew at the time. Yeah, apparently they didn't even realize they were sinking, and some of the passengers were like, trying to help because the other ship the ship that struck it went down immediately yeah that sunk instantly too, and there yeah. were just like people in the water and they tried to there are passengers on this one the Taiping that tried to save the passengers of the other ship before they realized that they were also sinking mm -hmm. so and I, that's <laughs> uh yeah i was actually just um watching a video about another wreck where the same thing happened where it's like we'll help you and then it's, it's like, like oh god we need help <laughs> yeah can you help us yeah please with this in mind, it is believed that the Taiping started out slow around 8 knots, but may have quickly sped up to avoid detection. On top of this, given where the boats collided, it is also believed that both had deviated from their courses prior to the wreck. Okay. That's... I mean, like, yeah, they're trying to they're trying to avoid capture or whatever, so I guess it, it makes sense that... You know, it's an unfortunate cocktail fully, of circumstances. Yeah, yeah. It's unsure if their deviation was accidental or intentional. Sailing with no lights in the middle of the night with heavier-than-normal loads at abnormal speeds, it's possible uh, that both boats drifted off course accidentally. More sure. likely, though, the boats deliberately sailed off course to avoid detection. I mean, yeah, that's... I mean, it sounds like a lot of ships were making this yeah. voyage. The problem with this 
is that both ships likely assumed the other ships that night were staying on course when plotting <laughs> their alternate ones. Yeah. Oops. With limited visibility, they were unable to confidently confirm the positions of the other boats with sufficient time to avoid the collision. About a week after the collision, a local newspaper reported that the cause of the crash was the fault of drunk crew members celebrating ahead of the new year. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe, yeah. That's, maybe a Donya Paz situation. That's never, yeah, that's been an issue before previously on this show. Crew so. members are going to party. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. According to the newspaper account, nearly the entire crew of the Taiping was under the influence and incapable of accurately steering the ship. The source of this story raised some suspicions. Yeah. At first, it came out so soon after the collision. Yeah, they couldn't have possibly. Yeah, search parties had only stopped looking for survivors three days before the story hit newsstands. Mm -hmm. Even if a crew member had survived to tell this tale, they were likely still in the hospital or at minimum still being questioned by authorities. Second, no one has ever been able to connect this account with a surviving crew member. There you go. Very few crew members survived the crash at all, and the ones that did spent a great deal of time searching for other survivors and helping passengers. No one observed any of them to be under the influence. Yeah. Rather, it is widely believed that this news story was planted as a means to downplay the involvement of patrols, martial law, and the volume of people trying to escape. Yeah. It's a classic fascist playbook. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing the Soviets had taught Mao Zedong while meddling in the Civil War, it was the power of propaganda. Yeah. There you go. It wasn't a great look <laughs> that thousands of people had fled in fear only to perish in the waves escaping a government curfew. Mm-hmm. The Communist Party had just finished a bloody civil war, but to the rest of the world, they wanted to appear to be the civil choice. Well, yeah, I mean, of course. The same article claimed that many sailors... <laughs> the same article, written by Zhao Madong, <laughs> claimed that many sailors had obtained their licenses under the KMT, under the war with Japan, and were badly trained. Yes. This wasn't entirely false. The need for sailors during the war resulted in fewer restrictions for sailor and captain positions. It was definitely skewed, but... Yeah, come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Quit, quit joking with me, mm -hmm. you know? Finally, a third theory emerged from the account of one of the survivors. In response to the claims of crew misconduct, Su Chi Hao presented a different story. Okay. They claimed that the central bank <gasps> had loaded large amounts of gold and silver what? into the forward cabin of the Taiping. According to Su Chi Hao, the excess gold and silver, plus too many passengers, caused the ship to lose balance following the collision, forcing it to capsize and sink faster. I mean, Maybe? having triple your capacity would do that, too. Yeah, um, but we also don't know that there was any gold or silver on the ship. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it feels like a fantastic explanation for a pretty evident uh, yeah, cause. Over, yeah. It's possible. I mean, it's definitely a better story, I it's, guess. The, yeah, I mean. The, the you, central bank. like If the you want to romance. Because then the government is directly responsible. Yes. And more, you know. That's that's a good point. It's a good way to link it. But and and if you want to add intrigue and adventure uh, yeah, and, and, and possessed to a tragic crash, yeah. you, you add gold and yep. and silver. Yeah. Uh, in the years since, no one has been able to corroborate Su Chihao's account, but that has not stopped people from searching for lost gold in the area. Of course. We should get into that racket. Of those who did survive, some were rescued by local fishing ships, others by U.S. or Australian ships in the area. Yep. Most lost their entire families and were forced to start over in a new place with only the clothes on their backs. Oof. Did they make it to Taiping? I mean, it sounds like it sounds Taiwan. Like, I'm sorry, Taiwan, yeah. They must have. 
One survivor, Chao Zhangzhu, was rescued by an Australian ship. After escaping the wreck by clinging to a steamer trunk, he floated for six hours. Damn. He was worried he would pass out from the cold or potentially contract hypothermia. But luckily for him, the Australian troops pulled him out of the water just in time. They were quoted as saying, how good. He was seconds away from getting hypothermia. Is that is that so? No. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if you were looking something no, up. No. Maybe six hours and eight seconds is the onset that's of hypothermia. The, that's the number, yeah. He was taken to Taiwan, mm-hmm. fortunately, uh, prevented from returning to his family on the mainland and unable to reach them, he moved on to settle in Japan. Oh. Meanwhile, his wife and children, who had not made it aboard the ship, lived in mainland China for decades, long believing Chow had perished in the wreckage. Oh my god. However... Almost 30 years later, they would be reunited. Whoa. Yeah, Chao Zhangzhu's son, Chao Shangming, was now grown with children of his own, and his children planned to study in Australia, and Chao Shangming decided to move his family there as well. Chao Zhangzhu found out through another family on the mainland that his wife and adult children had moved to Sydney. What? And he traveled there to reconnect with them. Whoa. Once there, he told his family the story of his survival and rescue. And since they were now reunited in Australia, he wanted to find the sailors that had saved his life. Oh my god. In 1995, they started posting newspaper ads describing the story of his rescue and asking for any information about the sailors who saved him. Unfortunately, though, their initial search was largely unsuccessful. Yeah. The following year, Chao Shangming's daughter, uh, Chao Zhangzhu's granddaughter, mm-hmm. contacted the Australian Department of Defense to try to find the sailors. The Department of Defense wrote back and confirmed that they did, in fact, have a record of the rescue and corroborated her father's story. Unfortunately, the rescue ship, the Waramunga One, had been scrapped and the captain had passed away. Yeah. They were able to provide a photo of the captain so her grandfather could confirm and identify him. And he looks awesome. Yeah, he's got he's got like mutton chops that mirror sort of a blush pattern. Yeah, they don't they don't connect they don't connect to the sideburns or the mustache. It's just like a patch on the cheek. It's crazy. I, 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 could you pull this off? No. No, I don't know anyone no. that could. I don't. I don't think this guy is pulling it off. I don't think this is a pull-offable cut. No, but he's a ship captain, so he, he has can do whatever he wants. unprecedented uh, power sure. to really just go for it. Yes. The Department of Defense took it one step further, and while the captain had passed and the ship was gone, the crew members of the Waramunga One had formed a club to keep in contact. Okay. And the club just so happened to be located in Sydney Perfect. at one of the naval bases. Perfect. Chao Shangming and his wife visited there where they met the secretary of the club. The secretary wasn't present for the rescue, but had heard about it from former crew members. Okay. They toured to see the rescue records and read Chao's father's account of the rescue. The club was very moved by his story and printed it in their newsletter. Okay. The newsletter reached the former boatswain and an officer who had been present for the rescue. Oh. Later that same year, they arranged to meet with Chao Zhangzhu in Australia for dinner and to coordinate a search for additional rescuers from the Waramunga 1. And in 1998, the Australian Navy launched the Waramunga 2. Oh, look at that. Electric Boogaloo. Yes. It's hard not to. Present at the launch ceremony were many of the surviving crew of the Waramunga 1, along with the son of the original captain, Vice Admiral Wilfred Hastings. Ooh. Front row at the event was Chao Zhangzhu, who was presented with a crew badge for the event. Well, that's nice. He hosted a dinner after the launch for the 12 remaining Waramunga 1 crew members and presented them with silk banners that read, A debt of gratitude as heavy as mountains. One of these banners hangs in the captain's room on the Waramunga 2. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Today, more than 20 years after the launch of the Waramunga 2, most of the original crew members are dead. But Chao Shang Ming and his wife stay in touch with their descendants. Chao Shang Ming also wrote a book recording the story of the rescue and commemorating the names of crew members who saved his father's life. Also, there is a movie about this. Is there? Yeah. John Woo, called The Crossing. Oh. Yeah. How about that? about this. Have you seen it? No. Not seen it. We should watch it. Think it's any good? Let's see if it's any good. It was released in 3D. First, First place at the Chinese box office. Okay. Nothing... I don't see any reviews or anything. Any though. Golden Globes? Uh, it was shot in Inner Mongolia, Shanghai, Taiwan, and Tianjin. Cool. They, That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't we'll, know. maybe we'll check it out. If anyone's seen it, get at us at Ship Hits Pod. Uh, that is the end of this particular wreck. Um, definitely uh, an unfortunate, unfortunate happenstance. Uh, an unfortunate happening, but a heartwarming story. Yeah. Um just just really nice and it's uh it's cool. I feel like a lot of this stuff that you read about with like crews getting together is uh doesn't necessarily involve a civilian rescue. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just uh it's it's really c- cool and kind of unbelievable that they were able to reconnect with the family and then the crew members uh shouts out. Yeah. To the whole the whole crew including the whole uh, Warmonga crew. The whole Warmonga too. Yeah, one. One. This two is built later. Okay. Yeah. Well, shouts out to them too. Well. As well. Yeah, lesser a lesser shout out. Shouts out to Still respect Sydney. respect to the Warmonga too. Respect wherever you are <laughs> right now. Respect to the Warmonga too. Uh we are with you, though not in body and spirit. <laughs> uh and maybe in a Philadelphia experiment esque. No, know, it doesn't have anything we to do with Philadelphia. Part, we could, no, but we could become part of the ship. Could be oh, transported maybe inside death. the Waramunga too. Yeah, no, still yeah. alive, screaming. Oh, okay. All right, I'm into that. Okay, yeah. Inter- interesting end. Yeah. Here, do you, do you want to give us an no, honorable just, mention? Yeah. Those are my whales. <laughs> what what, my what happened with you? I feel, torso. <laughs> I feel like your brain just flipped just upside down. I'm very tired. I'm very yeah, tired. Yeah, it was like a yeah. complete shift. <laughs> I've been tired. <laughs> You've been tired all day. Uh, anyway, in classic ship hits fashion, we turn now to another grim story. Uh, this time, on the shores of cloudy Oregon, a 40-foot sperm whale has washed up near Fort Stevens Ooh. State Park, right next to where the wreck of the Peter Iredale rests, actually. Is this an accident? Probably not. I mean, it could, could ill intent. We knew Is this foul play? Knew. <laughs> Who what knows what? <laughs> Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, this one was sent to us by Hayden Burbank on Twitter. Blessings. Thank you, Hayden. Huge apps. Uh, side note, we've also been notified by Nathan North's partner on Twitter. Okay. I don't know their name. They co-opted Nathan's Twitter account yep. to let us know that the, the ship's name is, in fact, pronounced Iredale. And oh. we could change, but the simple fact is we've been in this Iredale life for far too yeah. long to change now. We could change. We're not gonna. As we've mentioned earlier, yes, yeah, we refuse to change. Yeah. We received... An email uh, detailing uh, some of the the errors we made about the island of Malta. Mm-hmm. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Valid. We we own they up to the fan. mistakes. They were a fan. Yeah, they like the show. Look, we're gonna blow it sometimes. Like we said, not experts. We don't have a team of uh, we don't have a team of research assistants. Well, I do, but I don't use them for this. Uh, so thank you, Luke, for keeping us humble. 
uh, yes. and letting us know of our, our mistakes regarding the island of Malta. Again, though, we will not change. <laughs> we will continue to make mistakes. What about the whales? Is there any other news? Uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of news about oh, okay. the whale, Patrick. The uh, as of yet, you like un- reading names on this. This is your, it's your favorite part of doing this show is reading names. I do like reading names. I know. I've, I like I, listing them at the end. You love listing names at the end. I, I think you love listing names of people. It's why you do this. I do it because I love shipwrecks. You do it because you love to list names. In I, I love to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> and we have a lot of people that contribute to, to our raucous success. But no research assistance. No research yeah. assistance, Patrick Brown. I wish we had that, because that would be a win-win. I would get the research that I need and love, and you would get to name, <laughs> to name another more name. people. Yeah. Okay, well, moving on. Uh-huh. Uh, the as-of-yet unnamed dead sperm whale has attracted a number of onlookers, considering this beach is a popular tourist destination, speaking as one of those tourists myself. The beaches in Oregon aren't nice, right? I mean, it was like very cold and windy and overcast, but it was like grand. Like I went up closer to uh, Astoria near near where the Goonies was shot. Yeah, and it's it's awe inspiring, um, but But it's not like an LA beach. I I wouldn't. It seems. I mean, it's literally the graveyard of the Pacific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like I don't want to be out there. Yeah, but you could put on a wetsuit. Definitely. Who wants to do that? I've been working all winter on my beach body, and I'm going to cover it up with a wetsuit? No, thank you. Do you want to hear more about the whale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, God. <laughs> Marine biologists are excited at the prospect of studying the creature's large lower jaw, but they noted that they'll need to get in there and recover it before enterprising collectors make off with the teeth. Okay. I, listen, okay. I, I am, who, there you am go. who are we to judge the people of rural Oregon? That's a good point. Yeah, once you get pretty far outside of Portland, it's... Uh, they want to study its jaw? That's the main thing they're excited about? Is Apparently ha- these creatures have a prominent lower jaw that they want to take a look at. And they've never... Well, I don't think you get to... You can't hunt them to study the skeletal remains, and this one's fresh. Some can. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not, not but 10 or 15 minutes from this spot, I saw a huge sign that said, defund the police? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? There we go. So if you're wondering the general vibe Uh in this area. um, Anyway, one real gem came from a child marveling at the massive creature who was quoted as saying, I think it's really cool and that it smells really bad. Yes. The mind of a child. So simple, but it uh, shines a mirror. (laughs) It really illuminating uh, everything you need to know. Yeah, Uh, We couldn't have said it better ourselves. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Not it's really cool, Poignant. but it smells bad. It's both. It's really cool, yeah. and it smells That's really the bad. Duality. The duality That's of sperm. Incredible yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, fans of this show may be hoping for an exploding whale redux, but unfortunately, slash fortunately, uh, for anyone who's parked for anyone who's parked nearby, dynamite will not be employed to dispose oh. of the whale carcass. Uh, rather poetically, though, this poor fellow will be left to decompose naturally on the beach. In other words. Its bones will oh. literally bleach in these sands. In these sands, yeah. Not bad, okay. right? Not bad. Yeah. So uh, we we honor. Uh, do, uh, we yeah, we give you our blood. We bless you. Uh, we exalt thee. We thank you. We respect. This is to the whale. This uh, is to the whale. We thank you and we honor your sacrifice <laughs> for this show. And we're sorry that you didn't do enough to, and we, make, to make a full episode. But but we think it's cool that you smell bad. Yes. And if you are going to sacrifice yourself to get on an episode of this show, you better make it flashy. 
Otherwise, you're just going to be an honorable mention. <laughs> you, yeah, you so, got to really go for it. Yeah, if the not, be, if the whale had beached just in dying t- and washing up isn't enough. I'm if sorry. The, if the whale had beached in uh, times of war, mm-hmm. uh, I think maybe we could have could have made it work. His flesh had been hollowed out to form a like a kind of barracks to protect the soldiers. Now that's interesting. Kind of, a, would be kind of a, a an evolution episode. on the Jonah and the whale yeah. uh, uh, story. That's a full episode. I mean, even if you even if you swallow a man and that man lives inside you for many days, such <laughs> as Jonah and the whale, even that, for example, Jonah. That somewhat I would say is enough for a full episode that we will get to uh, in season twenty five <laughs> when we find out if even the most, but when we've had to go back. <laughs> And look at honorable mentions and be like, okay, I think we can just we can turn this, this into a full, full episode. episode. Yeah. yeah. And by that point, we will still have not covered the Titanic. No, but we will have covered <laughs> most biblical uh, water-based events. Yeah. Including yeah. just baptism. That's how That's how uh, wide we'll have expanded our net. Yeah, and I'll it's get- just anything I'll, water-related I'll get all. to name John the Baptist. <laughs> and we'll talk about the, the men casting well, their nets. If you, if you like names- the Bible, the Bible is the book for you. It's oh, a, yeah. mostly yeah. just a list of names. So-and-so begets son and yeah, yeah. so-and-so, so which goes go. on for a long anyway. time. That's my least favorite reading. Anyway. Uh, not not because I know anything about the Bible, because it's boring. Sure. As a child. Anyway, uh, that's our show. Follow us at Ship Hits Pod everywhere. You have social media, mm-hmm. except for Facebook, Parlor, uh, Truth Social, Mastodon. <laughs> Hive. Just follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We've got to yeah. post those other TikToks, by yeah, the way. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's a login. So. This is why we need a standing meeting. I, so we can I agree. remind each I other agree. to do this. Accountability, yeah. Patrick. Sure, sure. The show is researched and written by Paige Wesley. There we go. <laughs> it is edited by Kelly Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And the art is made by Stevie Jude. Mm-hmm. I have been Charlotte Avery. Do you want to say my. I my know it's like a. Yeah. Patrick. There you go. Martholomew Brown. Oh, sure. Fine. Yeah. Um. The, the laptop's overheating. I think it's yep. time to All go. right. Bye, everybody. Bleach those, uh, bleach those bones. Yep. Shouts out, whale carcass. Bye. Huge respect. Massive ups. Mm-hmm.